0: a podcast that untangles the science of sex and pleasure. And now, with this week's episode, your host, clinical psychologist Dr. Nazanin Moali. Hello there. Welcome to another episode of Sexology Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Nazanin Moali. I am so excited that you're tuning in today as you might remember, if you're a listener of this show, in episode 70, we had Robert Candle who talked to us about non-monogamous relationships. And after that conversation, I got several emails from a few of you guys. You wanted to learn more about the structure of this relationship, uh, how people are practicing it, whether it's working for them or not. And I hear different kind of a perspective on the topic. That's why I invited uh, Sophie Lucido-Johnson. She's an author to come on the show and she's someone who practices polyamory and she's in a polyamorous relationship. And I thought it would be interesting to hear her story of how she navigates this lifestyle and how she goes about talking about polyamory with friends and family and how this lifestyle helped her to deepening her intimacy with her partners. Uh, So our guest, as I mentioned, is Sophie Lucida Johnson. She's a writer, illustrator, comedian, and the editor-in-chief of Neutron Protons, an online literary magazine. Recently, Sophie's culturally relevant Valentines appeared on the New Yorker's website and social feed. She has been published in a number of different journals and magazines, and she has just completed Master of Fine Arts in Writing at the School of the Art Institute of Chicago. The book that we're going to talk about, Many Love, is her first book. Here's my conversation with Sophie Lucido-Johnson. Welcome back to another episode of Sexology Podcast. I am so excited to have Sophie Lucida-Johnson, an author of Many Love on our show today. Sophie, welcome to our show. Thank you. I'm really excited to be on your show. Thank you so much for coming on. So it's so wonderful that I was just sharing with you before we started recording that I really enjoyed your book. Mm-hmm. And it was it was interesting and different than what I expected. So I could totally relate. I'm I'm in a monogamous relationship and I could totally relate to many of the stories that you were saying. So I think it was very refreshing to see things from a different perspective.
1: Thanks. Yeah, thank you.
0: So I just wanted to start to hear more about the polyamorous lifestyle. I know in the book you mentioned that you started with monogamy and things evolved for you. So tell us about like polyamorous lifestyle what does it look like for you to be in those kind of relationships?
1: Totally. Yeah. So I have been with my now fiance for about four years now, but we aren't exclusive with each other in terms of really anything. We live together, but we also live with roommates and I spend a lot of time with him and we go on dates and I feel very committed to him emotionally. and. Um, Physically, for at least the time being, I love him. He's the best person on the earth. So I almost feel selfish for having so much of his time. But I also date a couple of women who I like a lot. And um, yeah, I have a date tonight with a girl I really like. Um, and then I also just try to prioritize other types of relationships, like relationships with my close friends and family so that I'm not just spending all my time with one person. Um, so for me, polyamory is less about sex, although sex is definitely a big part of it and sort of more about just reexamining priorities so that you have sort of a healthier balance of the priorities in your life. What I was
0: reading about the chapter on polyamory is not about sex. And I know you were talking about ethical slut that does the Eastern Road. I it was one of the first books I read about polyamory. And it was interesting to hear your perspective. So it seems like you, you emphasize the relationship as well. So tell us a little bit more about that.
1: Yeah. Well, I think that, so I'm 32. Oh, I'm going to be 32 tomorrow. Oh, yay. Happy birthday. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. I'm 32. So I identify as a millennial. And I think that uh, my generation and the generation after mine, which I'm in touch with because I teach high school, we are a little less likely to commit in more traditional romantic ways. And I think the way that that gets portrayed a lot of the time is sort of, well, you know, young people just like to have a lot of sex and sleep around and they're afraid of commitment and they're not interested in making the necessary sacrifices that you should make in order to have a healthy relationship. And I don't think that's so much what this is about. For me, the idea is, you know, it's unrealistic to think that you can get all of your emotional needs met from one person, emotional and physical in some cases. For example, I tend to be a little bit kinkier than my fiance. And so it's nice that I can seek out other relationships to satisfy that sort of desire of mine. But just also like Luke, which is my fiance's name, doesn't like to just talk about feelings all day long. It's not his favorite thing. Um, He likes to play soccer. It's not that he hates talking about feelings, but uh, <laughs> he just doesn't want, he, I mean, if it was up to him, he wouldn't spend four hours processing sort of the meaning of some, some anger I had at work. However, I do have a lot of close friends who we like to have connective conversations like that. And I think that's really important too. So um trying to figure out how to let different people serve different roles in your life so you can take some pressure off of your Partners, Because I think a lot of times we end up ending relationships with people because we want them to be something that they aren't and we seek to change them. And I find that to be such a sad reason to just cut someone wonderful out of your life. Someone who might satisfy you in a lot of other ways, but they're missing, you know, just one thing like, oh, I really wish he liked to go see the same kind of movies as I did, but he doesn't. So we must not be meant to be. I mean, that's, that's a sad (laughs) glimpse of reality. Yeah. And it's interesting.
0: I was reading the book there, like you, you were the part that you were talking about your earlier life experiences. And you were talking about how you had this like an adolescent teen years. You had this like meaningful relationship with other women. And then, you know, the way that's portrayed for I, I can say definitely for me, it's like a placeholder until I meet my boyfriend. Right, right, right. And exactly. It's just like, like okay. devaluing the relationship that you have. And it's just awesome on its own.
1: Yeah, exactly. You know, it's crazy. I feel like, so my best friend in high school was just awesome. We did so many cool things together. I, we made a lot of Daisy change, which doesn't sound fun, but it really was. And we had a lot of breadsticks from the pizza parlor and sleepovers. And I really damaged that relationship when I got into um, a romantic partnership with a, with a boy who wasn't that great. Like he was just a boy. But lately, now now that I've really rethought it, I think I'm rebuilding my relationship with my friend from high school who I lost. And I just am so grateful. She's awesome. She's really funny, good at memes. Memes are cool these days. <laughs> Tell me about them. I feel like all of a sudden I feel old. <laughs> I know, I know. Well, my students really like them too. I, I don't. I don't know what to say. I mean, this this is this world we live in. has So many different opportunities to not be bored. But I think a meme is a picture on the internet with some words that makes you laugh, and that's all it is. I think that's not ultra complicated. But my friend, my friend Jessica is pretty good at at. I guess I'll just say poop jokes. I think she'd be proud <laughs> if said that to you. Very cool.
0: And it seems like, you know, it's interesting that you were talking about your fiance and how, you know, there are certain things that you feel you guys are awesome. And there are sort of of other things that you you feel that other people in your life are good at or even better at it. Mm -hmm. I was just having this conversation with my husband. So I was reading I'm reading this book about infidelity and all of that. And I was talking to him about honey, how would you feel if I had emotional affair? I was, and he said, oh, what is emotional affair? And I was like explaining what is that? I was like, oh, that sounds awesome. So you would go to someone else for emotional needs mostly. <laughs> <laughs> and you come, like, you come here, we can connect physically. I was, and I know it's not as simple as that, but it's funny that, you know, it's how we see, like, as you said, that one person have to fulfill all his needs that you have right around like physical intimacy, emotional intimacy, support, everything. Right. How realistic is that?
1: Yeah, it's not very, it's, um, exactly. It's not realistic. And it's, it's, it creates a lot of pain, I think, for both parties, because you want to be what your partner wants you to be. You want your partner to be different. You want You want all of these impossible things, and it ultimately makes us feel really bad about ourselves and each other, and that sucks. We don't have to. We're pretty just the way we are, but it's hard to find, and in fact, like wonderfully hard to find someone who like checks every single one of your boxes. I mean, that's such a beautiful testament to how unique and different we all are. That ought to be celebrated. It's a really positive thing about our species, our crazy species.
0: Right. And I know in the book you're talking about, it's not for everyone. So I can see our listeners say, Oh, I don't want to do that. If you don't want to do it, and it's not a fit for you, that's totally understandable. But it seems like it can be or it may be a good fit for many people.
1: Right? I mean, yes, I think that the the key here is how interested are you in dealing with really painful jealousy? Because it comes up and I, the way that I talk about, so I have a lot of friends or acquaintances who, because I write about polyamory tend to come to me for permission to cheat on their partners. And I am probably the most anti cheating person that you will meet in your life. I think it's, I mean, I, I understand why people do it. Absolutely. I I don't hold a lot of judgment, but I also I'm not going to give someone permission to cheat. And the thing is, I think you make a choice. You have to make a sacrifice no matter what. If you're going to be in a committed relationship, there are sacrifices that have to be made. I mean, that's just sort of what commitment is. So do you sacrifice, you know, the knowledge that you're going to... Or do you sacrifice ever sleeping with anyone else ever again? Or do you sacrifice the emotional comfort of not feeling jealous a lot and i think that it's it's pretty positive for me to work through jealousy with my partner it, it brings me closer to to my partner's but that's not true for everybody jealousy really can be painful it can bring up a lot of triggering feelings you have to sort of know yourself well enough to know if it's something you want to work through or not
0: Right. And I I was reading about in your book as well, about like how you navigated a different situation with your primary partner. It's, it sounded like it was very courageous, but, and very vulnerable. And I can see if you have someone that have childhood wound, those, those situations would be so much more challenging to work through.
1: Yeah, totally. And you might have a lot to work through, you know, before you attempt to enter into this kind of partnership with, a stranger or someone you don't know. very Well, you know, there might be like a lot you can do with a therapist before you venture into the kind of crazy snowflake wasteland that is polyamory. It's just, there's so many ways that it can look and be that it can feel sort of scary. And I think, you know, if you're already in a relationship the relationship really needs to be healthy at its foundation before you begin to open it up. It's definitely not a solution for a relationship that's suffering, which I think is a common misconception.
0: That makes sense. And I would imagine then you have like one of the other things that's very important for people and you have to have very good boundaries, right? Because it sounds like you, there is a primary partner and there's a secondary partner and just, it's hard to navigate those I would imagine at times.
1: Well, yeah, and just to be clear, that's definitely not the only way that a polyamorous relationship should look. I think right now something that's been bugging me is sort of the media portrayal of like cisgendered men and women um in a relationship. They open it up, they sort of date other people and this like language around primary partner and tertiary partners. Whereas like some of the most healthy polyamorous relationships I know are are really outside the box. So like you know, maybe two women who are asexual who live together. And they also have like a lot of other sort of familial friendships with people who they're close to, or someone who's asexual with a partner who is very sexual and the sexual partner is sort of sleeping around on the side. I mean, I think of polyamory as a way to, to take a relationship as it flows and to sort of listen to your to love listen to what your body and your mind is telling you you want and need and give yourself permission to explore what that could look like
0: right so it seems like there's a galaxy of varieties within right. the under the polyamory
1: umbrella which makes sense super well put i like galaxy i'm going to steal it
0: <laughs> it's all yours so <laughs> the other thought that i have was like how vulnerable it was to write the book, I would imagine, or coming out as someone who mm-hmm. experienced, uh, like, choose this lifestyle. Because mm-hmm. you, me and you, I mean, I grew up in Iran, so definitely mm-hmm. <laughs> our upbringings yeah. are have definitely lots of differences. But I could totally relate that just, like, you know, you grew up with, like, similar family as I have as far as dynamics. Mm-hmm. And, like, you talked about your mother, how she was hoping for you to, like, most mothers to be having, like, finding the one. And, like, right. how that was... Even it seemed like she wasn't necessarily hundred percent on board with that. I mean, it seemed like right. she, again, I'm I'm just like saying this based on the book, so it might not be true. But like she was kind of trying to encourage you to choose that path. And so, tell us, how was it to share this with, with the world about that? This is something I do, and this is something that makes me happy.
1: Yeah, no, definitely, it was definitely true. You know, I enjoy so much privilege, and I think that this question is really a question about privilege. I'm a white woman. My family is pre- pretty progressive and liberal, and for me to come out didn't have the same um, sort of social or class consequences that it might for somebody else. And this is one of the things that like we need to be talking about in terms of, uh, you know, relationship dynamics and sexuality is that, you know, to be able to come out as poly in your community requires a lot of just privilege. So I am aware that it's not something that everybody can do or should do. I know people lose their jobs and they lose their families over um, this kind of opening up. Um it was possible for me to do I think I feel similarly about veganism I'm a vegan and I know that that's just that's a choice that I'm able to make it's not something everyone can do I was able to open up and I really believe in this I believe that love should be um something that we are constantly examining and thinking about I believe in love as an incredible force for positive change in the world which you know, sounds real woo woo but I really believe it And I wanted everyone to know that this is something that I thought. So yeah, my grandmother, for example, wasn't pleased about it. She was feeling very scared for me and um, my relationships. I don't think my dad really understands my relationships, but my mom has been really open to it. She was ultra monogamous and she was braced Catholic and didn't believe in divorce. And she and my dad have a really interesting marriage. They're still, they, they're now been married for 50 years and it's sometimes wonderful and sometimes really ugly. And I think that's probably what the best one can hope for in a marriage. And it's a wonderful thing, but I'm really grateful that my mom especially is such a cool woman she's the coolest and she she does change her mind a lot and she's really open to polyamory and I think she's reported to me that some of her friends are skeptical and she feels like she has to stand up for me a lot and I'm that's very kind of her to do that Um,
0: I love that she's supportive and understanding yeah
1: I know me too I mean yeah she's great and i i think at first when i first told her i was you know not going to pursue monogamous relationships anymore i think she was you know thought maybe it was a phase but i'm 7 8 years into it now and it really feels good for me i i feel like i haven't had a breakup in that time my relationships have just sort of changed and and i feel a lot healthier and there's a lot less drama which i know sounds crazy i think that like the idea of having more people tends to make one think that there's more drama, but all the communication just sort of makes for a lot of happy, boring relationships.
0: Yeah. And it's interesting that you're talking about your mom being open and you t- you were talking about growing up and how she was hoping, again, it seems like in the book that she was like encouraging you at least indirectly to pursue kind of a more traditional route,
1: and right. I was thinking
0: about my own mother. So I grew up in Iran, as I said, and my mom. So I grew up right after Iranian Revolution. I was born then, and like my mom was the previous generation, and she was really wild from the picture. That I- like she was very adventurous, and she's the poster girl for like you know. There's this image that says, "Oh, University of Tehran before revolution," and it's funny enough. Somehow it's a picture of my mom, and like so, it's circulating. But growing up, she was trying to at least the messages she had was really conservative, very traditional, yeah. and and now we have this conversation, and she was telling me maybe i wasn't 100% on board but mm. we are we were in that society and i wanted to protect you right. and i think like lots of us carry on the script and passing it along because we're afraid what if like we encourage other ways of living and what would be the consequences right. for our, our loved ones and children
1: yeah and there it's really I thank you for sharing that story. Um, I It's really different for different people, you know, and sometimes those consequences are so are, are real in a way that, you know, we don't always acknowledge because people can get hurt and, and even killed over, you know, sexual preference. And um, that's still a very real existence for a lot of living human beings. <laughs>
0: Right. And even for children, I think like, so if you are in a unit that's working, it can be wonderful resource for children to have like different financial support and emotional support if you're in a polyamorous relationship. But I would imagine most places, the school wouldn't be open to that.
1: Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. At least sort of side glancing. I mean, one of the people I talked about talked to while I was, um, working on the book is this woman, Valerie White, who's in her seventies and she's in a triad with, um, a man and a woman. So they're all kind of dating and they have twins and yeah, Valerie is their biological grandmother, um, because her daughter donated the eggs to the other woman who wasn't able to conceive. So, at their school, um, everyone sort of thinks Valerie is the live-in grandmother, when really she is a person who is in a relationship with these with this couple. And she, you know, she and her partners report how flexible it has been to raise those kids. Like you said, there's another stream of revenue coming in. There's more time allotted, it allowed for um the other couple to sort of sleep through the night because Valerie likes to stay up late with the kids when they were babies crying. It's just like more people raising children is always (laughs) definitely. But um but it's just not it's not socially acceptable yet. And I really do hope that will change. I do. I I believe that it will. I think we're moving in that direction because I I think we actually evolved to live in greater community with each other and yeah once again that's like less about sex and just more about how do we how do we treat each other better as a on a whole as a species
0: right and i agree with you like i think there if we have more stories like your story the way you sang in the book it will be helpful for people to see this is not for someone that's like a group of hippies living in the woods. It's like all of us get like something that can work for like most people and some people if you choose to. And it's just like different preferences of right. like family dynamic.
1: Yeah, exactly. Totally. Um, yeah, hippies in the woods.
0: Uh, but- <laughs> Sorry, I hope that wasn't offensive. I know, but I would imagine that's what most people think.
1: I mean, it's what's it definitely, and there's some always some truth to cliches. There are people who I think, you know, um, have values and push them too far and too hard on their children. And this is a very much sort of us. change happens really slowly over time. Um, so I live in this big house with my fiance and we have a few roommates and I really love sharing one family dinner a week and like that we help each other with the gardening. And I think that that's a really functional way to live we share ha- paying for things and we share space and community but it's not the same as everyone is sort of naked eating grains <laughs> on the floor but i know people who do that so i don't know you know it's who knows where we're going to go in the future but um i think it ultimately boils down to being willing to ask yourself constantly if you know, you're living your truth. <laughs> and it's really hard. I think it's much easier to settle into one way of being and just decide you've got it all figured out, even though the only evidence that we have is that people change, love changes, times change, and we're all very resistant to it.
0: Right. And I love what you said, like, you know, kind of checking in with your, for yourself. How is it working for you? Right, And if yeah. it's not working, what are other solutions? And I think right. like some kind of psychological flexibility is the key. Yeah, absolutely. Again, just like going against what you like always thought can be very challenging and isolating. So something else I wanted to know about is, so I know I love the illustrations that you had in the book. <laughs> and yeah. one of them was talking about the difference between polyamory and open relationships. Yeah, we yeah, yeah. Talk a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, um, this is something that people are really curious about. And just to full disclosure, it seems that these days, polyamory is a less popular term, and people are more into the term ethical non-monogamy. And I I think that's silly, but people, but people love changing language and deciding language is like wrong and that it ought to be different. I love the word polyamory because it's this sort of marriage of a Greek word and a a Roman word or Latin word, a Greek and a Latin word, and they don't shouldn't belong together, and that they literally mean like many love. I think is very sort of appropriately messy and odd, but. so polyamory and open relationships, the way I tend to explain it is that, um, so you know how every square is a rectangle, but not every rectangle is a square, right? Right. So I, so every polyamorous relationship is an open relationship, but not every open relationship is a polyamorous relationship. So it, a polyamorous relationship has a few more restrictions and is a little more specific in open being open or being in an open relationship um really might just mean you are sleeping with a lot of different people and you're not really talking about it and like your priority is sex right now and ain't nothing wrong with that that's great for <laughs> a lot of people who are exploring themselves sexually as long as you're using a bunch of Protection, you're good. But polyamory is really about communication and being honest and consenting. So, yeah, the idea that you, this relationship has the potential to be open with the agreement and consent of all participants. So, I couldn't go and just sort of like sleep with Mary if um, Mary didn't know that I also was sleeping with John. And Mary needs to consent and agree that that's also what she wants. So for me, it has everything to do with just like this constant communicating, which I love. It really makes me feel closer to other people, but it is not for everyone. It is a lot of talking. I don't know if it's clear to you, but I just love talking. I can talk.
0: I <laughs> no wonder. It's how I can talk to this woman with uh, to uh, in hours. But you're right. It seems <laughs> like you're having lots of difficult conversation, potentially and vulnerable right.
1: conversations. Right, but they become really beautiful though, because like if you're feeling jealous, the jealousy is coming from somewhere within you. And jealousy is super complicated. There's lots of different types of jealousy. But if I was feeling jealous because Luke is dating someone else and, you know, I think that she is prettier than I am to talk to Luke about my deep insecurities about the way that I look and how frightened I am of losing him over someone who I perceive to be more beautiful, like that conversation allows me to really get deep with some stuff that is tricky to talk about in the first place. And I'm sharing it with someone I really trust and I'm committed to and he's not the kind of person who does a lot of comparing <laughs> but he, but i think the key is rather than get defensive rather than say oh honey no you're the most beautiful person in the world you have to believe me the key is to say i hear you you know that makes sense that sounds really hard to feel like you're not beautiful. I mean, I can't, that sounds incredibly painful and it makes sense that you would feel jealous and tell me more about that feeling and let's unpack it. And all the while, I assure you, I'm not going anywhere. I love you. You're my priority. Let's hear what you're feeling. Those conversations are awesome. It just, it really helps you to feel more confident about yourself at the end of the day.
0: Right, and I think willingness to sit through the, again to me seems like difficult conversation. But you're right, from the place of vulnerability, at times we feel closer to others.
1: Yes, yeah, and also it just makes me feel like noting, you know, really is our tendency to be very reassuring to our partners from our sort of egoic perspective, of um, you know. Don't worry. You have nothing to worry about. Don't be jealous. You have no reason to be jealous. You know, I I love you. Don't worry. Don't worry. Don't worry. And I think that that kind of talk is pretty counterintuitive. You have to kind of acknowledge uncomfortable emotions as valuable and relevant and real. And just because something, a, a feeling isn't, isn't true, doesn't mean that it, it isn't real.
0: That's true. And again, just openness to letting people have their emotions versus trying to fix it.
1: Yes, exactly. That's exactly true.
0: So one other thing that you were talking about in the book that I didn't know about, you made this kind of connection between polyamory and queer culture. Can Mm. you tell us more about that?
1: Yeah, polyamory really has sprung up from queer culture um, on lots in lots of different ways. So, and, and it's so complex, I am afraid I'm going to miss something. So just a caveat, I bet I missed something in what I am about to say. Um, so in terms of, I you know, talking to a lot of gay activists from gay male activists from sort of the eighties, the idea of sort of a queer family or a gay family was just, was pretty common and open relationships were pretty common and um, monogamy wasn't an expectation. And that was that was absolutely sort of a part of the landscape earlier than it was for monogamous folks. Now, in terms of this word polyamory and paving the way for sort of a deeper emotional, kind of open relationship. A lot of that work has been done by bisexual women in particular. It's not a hundred percent clear why, but a lot of like the woman who wrote the definition of polyamory is bisexual woman, a lot of the organizing of events and conferences around developing the ideology behind polyamory has been done by bisexual women. And I think you know a lot of people who are poly tend to claim queerness and that is contentious to to say oh i date multiple people and that's sort of my sexuality and i might not say that that is absolutely true but it is true that you know queerness and questioning the status quo around what love has to look like are are similar in in their beauty uh, that said, you know, like I said earlier, to be poly is some is, is something that is easier to hide than to be gay or lesbian and in a committed partnership with a same-sex couple. It's it's easier to sort of like have this behind closed doors and to pass, um, as one might say. So it's pretty complicated. But I think the bottom line is that queer folks are super advanced and have always known more than everybody else. <laughs>
0: That wrap up. (laughs) On that note, I know you have this wonderful book. And again, I highly recommend that it was engaging, interesting, and funny. So, where can our listeners, if they want to check out your book, your content, uh, what are some of the ways for them to find that?
1: This is so cool. I could just self promote. It makes me feel (laughs) funny, but I'm excited to do it. Yeah, the book, Many Love, comes out on June 26th and it is available on Amazon and Barnes and Noble and Powell's I'm going to recommend Powell's I'm from Jeez, Portland Powell's I have yeah. no idea <laughs> It's the country's largest independent bookstore it's in oh. Portland Oregon where I was born and raised and um they have it on online and they will have it on their shelves and so pretty much anywhere you can buy a book and I think there's a Kindle version Although there is a review online that says it's not as good. And I just think you should hold this book in your hand because of all the pictures and things like that. And my writing is on my website, SophieLucidoJohnson.com.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much for your time. I leave the link to the show notes about the book and also your website and, yeah, this was so lovely. Thank you for your time. Well, it
1: was such a pleasure to talk to you and good luck with the show is awesome. I am a big fan and I'm very grateful for your time.
0: Thank you so much. Take care. I hope you enjoyed our conversation around polyamorous relationship and I appreciate Sophie's openness. I would imagine given the a level of kind of judgment and negative attitude that people have, even in the U.S. around alternative lifestyles, definitely, I would imagine, took some courage from her to open up about her experience to us and to other people. And for me, it's always helpful to hear people's personal stories. Obviously, I'm a psychologist, so I love hearing people's stories, but I feel I feel, it helps us to develop appreciation of different ways of living and thinking and uh, relationships and uh, why it's working for people. It's interesting that recently I read that uh, one in five single Americans have engaged in consensual non-monogamy. So it's something that's more common than you think. And um, I think it's interesting to learn more about it. Anyhow, as always, I really appreciate it if you take a moment, write an honest review for this show on iTunes or Stitchers. It helps me to reach a broader audience and I feel sexual education is something that we never get enough of, at least that's how I feel. And uh, with you writing a review for this show, uh, you help us rank higher iTunes and we will be able to talk to more people about these things. Anyhow, I love you and thank you for listening to this show and I'll talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to Sexology Podcast. For more great content, visit www.sexologypodcast.com. Please be advised that information presented on this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health provider.